Good morning. How are you all? Um, did you notice last week Phil said, jokingly, he was going to preach to the band, but then actually because the band's really the only people in the room, he actually did preach to you, so... <laughs> I'm going to try not to do that. I'm going to try to look in all different directions, but it's tricky. I've got to confess this morning for the first like two, three months last year that we were preaching to camera, I felt so nervous, but then I probably got used to it a little bit, and now I feel very nervous this morning preaching to people, so it's very strange. But hello to you familiar people on the couch who I can't see, and maybe I prefer that this morning. Um, it's good to be here, um, but I'm also glad that you who are at home can um, engage, and so I hope you do that and maybe talk to the people when I ask you a question. You can answer it to the people on your couch or in your bed or wherever you may be. We've heard all sorts of places that people watch church, from cafes to they just literally turn the TV on at the end of their bed, to getting up and having them over, watching church over pancakes has, has been the habit of my family. So anyway, over the... Yeah, sorry, you haven't got pancakes this morning, Phil. Is that all right? We'll make some when I get home. I don't know. <laughs> But over the next six weeks, um, as you heard us introduced last week, so we're talking about these radical teachings of Jesus about this alternate kingdom. And these teachings of Jesus should totally reshape us, both as individuals, but also as a community of people, as God's people. So to get started this morning, I want you to think for a moment about this. The truth is that Jesus has a very different view of you than you do. Jesus views you in a very different way than you view yourself. We all have a view of ourselves, and, and if we get real honest, most of us probably don't think that much of ourselves. Like, I've sat down with enough people and I've spent enough time with myself to know that we struggle. We struggle with how we think of ourselves. But Jesus has an entirely different view. Some of his teaching that, teachings that emphasize this, we commonly refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, which Don introduced us to this morning. So basically, Jesus gathers his disciples on a mountain and he's teaching and a crowd gathers around him. And basically, he's teaching these key messages that have echoed through history now for 2,000 years. And even people that haven't read the Bible and don't know much about Christianity, many of these teachings in the Sermon of the Mount, they know, they've heard of. And we're going to look at the way that they need to radically make a difference in our day-to-day -day lives because it describes a way that God sees us that we don't see ourselves as part of his alternate kingdom. And this is what he has to say when he starts off. He says, you... If you follow me, so that applies to all of us here who are seeking to follow Jesus, that applies to you sitting at home who are engaging this morning, wanting to know Jesus better. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. These are the two metaphors he uses. He says, if you follow me, if you really trust me with your life, if I'm your Lord, you're seeking me out as king, then this is what you are. Not something that you need to try to be. This is what you are. And honestly, this is what the church should be. Now, I don't think the church is this all the time, but this is what the church should be. You are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. So salt was really important 
in the ancient world. It's still really important today. It's very important in my house. I love my salt. And anyone that knows me gets a little bit frustrated with me because I'll get a meal and before I've even tested to see if it needs salt, I've put salt on it because I just know it needs it. That's just the truth. But in the ancient world where there was no refrigeration, salt was even more important. Salt was used as a curative and a preservative. It, it healed people and it made things last longer. Keep, me keep Meat kept longer if you could put salt on it when you didn't have a refrigerator. That's important. You are preservative in the world, Jesus is saying. You make the world better. Do you really think that about the, yourself, that you make the world better? You bring light, Jesus says. In a dark world, if you follow me, you are the light of the world. And don't we know that the world needs some light? Now, some of you will have a problem with this. Maybe even some of you that we've, we've engaged with over the last year who have watched online have said that you're watching and that you're engaging, but that you would never go back to church because you've been hurt by the church. And a lot of you would say, people in the church aren't any better than people in the world. And I agree sometimes. And I'm sure Jesus would agree as well. But he says, if we all could really see ourselves the way God sees us, the way he designed us to be, the way he designed, designed his kingdom to be, then that would change. If you're really plugged into me, if you're really following me, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. So Jesus has a very different view about us than we do and a very different view about the world and how it should be than it is. And so Jesus comes along at the beginning of his ministry and he teaches the kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom of God is inside you. The kingdom of God is coming. It's not far. In other words, there is an alternate kingdom. The way we see things isn't the way the world has to be. There is a radically different way that I'm ushering in, Jesus says, completely different. And it's actually the thing you're looking for. You're looking for hope, you're looking for love, you're looking for freedom. That's what my kingdom is all about. And then he starts dropping bomb after bomb, pearl after pearl of wisdom. And I'm not exaggerating, these teachings are radical. And some of them might have heard them so many times we've forgotten how radical they are. I mean, when you really look at what Jesus is saying, absolutely revolutionary. He says, you wanna know what the kingdom of God is like? And he goes on to tell it and says, I'm going to show you what it's like and I invite you to be a part of it. One day this is going to be eternity, but right now it's an alternate kingdom. It's a kingdom we choose when we choose the king of this kingdom. And you know, you can be a Christian, you can be following Jesus or trying to follow Jesus or have said, professed to following Jesus, but still be living in the wrong kingdom. You can say, I'm trusting Jesus with my life, but actually, if you're not living with the values of his kingdom, if you're not seeking to hear from him and to allow him to change you from the inside out, you can still be living in the wrong kingdom. You know, these teachings of Jesus are a bit like unapplied paint. I could go down to Bunnings this weekend and purchase 10 litres of paint, put it in my garage, and if it stays there, what sort of value does it put to my, to my walls in my house? Zero. You've actually got to take the paint, apply it to the house in order that it makes a difference. And I reckon this Sermon on the Mount is probably Jesus' best teachings, but also his most poorly applied teachings. You know, we all know them, don't we? Love your enemy, 
pray for those who curse you, turn the other cheek. How many of us do that day in, day out? Poorly applied, but really well known. So some people see these as entrance requirements, and I just want to put up front right at the beginning of this series, these things that we're teaching about aren't things we must do to enter the kingdom of God. Hopefully you've heard Phil and I teach enough to know that we teach a a gospel or a message of righteousness from Jesus only. We bring nothing to the table. Jesus saves us by his righteousness. It's nothing we've done. It's everything he's done. These aren't entrance requirements. That's not a good interpretation because then really we're all doomed. None of us are righteous enough. That's what the scripture tells us. So these aren't entrance requirements, but but what they say is, hey, if you hang around in my kingdom, the kingdom of God, if you keep following me, if you keep living God's way, if you keep making choices that are according to God's values, this is what you will become. We won't actually do this on our own, but the presence of God with us, his Holy Spirit coming alongside of us can give us the strength, the wisdom, the insight so that these kingdom values more and more become our values so that we're a brighter and brighter light for Jesus in our world. So today we start where Jesus started, and he starts, interestingly interestingly enough, with anger. So this morning, consider, what makes you angry? Maybe take a moment to whisper the 1.5 metres to the next person. What what makes you, you angry? Or whisper to somebody at home, what is it that makes you angry? I asked someone this week, and they said, Slow people in the fast lanes, slow lines, and slow internet. (laughs) I think some of us are maybe a bit impatient. We've got a few nods here. Slow things. For me, sometimes it's the lights and the fans left on at home, dishes in the sink when the dishwasher is empty, people that say they're going to do something and don't. I'm not going to keep listing them because this will be a bit of a therapy session. I don't want to make it that. But some of these things really are more like little annoyances than things that we're really angry about, right? Things that really actually make me angry are more things like poverty. People that are unkind, especially to vulnerable people. Abuse of power. What about you? What are some of those deep things that make you angry? For some of you, it probably gets really personal. You'd say, if I was raised in the house, that you were raised in, I'd be angry too. Maybe you say your ex makes you angry, your parents make you angry, your boss makes you angry the way he belittles you. And some issues are really worth getting upset about, about fighting about and about advocating for. But Jesus says there's a way to be angry. And this morning he warns about anger and what it can do to us and how it's not part of his kingdom. So let's have a look this morning at Matthew chapter 5. And Don read for us earlier the context of this. And we're going to concentrate this morning on verses 21 to 26. And this is the first part of the Sermon on the Mount where he says, this is what you've heard, but I'm going to share with you an alternate view, a different way of thinking about it. So he says, verse 21, you have heard it said to the people long ago. In other words, if you've hung around whatever church looked like 2,000 years ago, if you've hung around the temple long enough, you will have heard it said, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So most of us read that and we go, tick, I've never murdered anyone, so I'm not subject to judgment. Maybe that only applies to a small percentage of the population. But Jesus says, don't get too excited. I'm going to reinterpret it for you. 
He says, the way you've heard this passage is wrong. You've actually missed the point. And so he says, you've heard it said, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. I watch a lot of TV shows that are like, you know, criminal-based, whodunit, who's the killer kind of show. And I was watching an episode recently of a TV show where a guy was brought into the police station for questioning. He had motive and, you know, like the supposed intent um, of this guy's murder. It was believed that he was guilty. But this guy says, he says, he was a horrible man. I'm glad he's dead. I'd like to congratulate the guy who killed him, but I didn't do it. He was very willing to confess his hatred, willing to confess that he was glad the man was dead because it's not against the law in our land to hate someone. It's just against the law to kill them. That's the way the, the work, the, the, it works in the kingdom that we live in here today. But you know what? In God's kingdom, that's not the way it works. In this alternate kingdom, we're actually created for this kingdom and it's not against the law just to murder, but it's actually against the law to stay angry with someone. And so all of a sudden, this teaching goes from a very few people in our population to pretty much all of us. Now, there's a couple of misunderstandings about this verse. It's not saying that anger deserves the same consequence as murder. Just for the record, I'd much rather you be angry with me than, you know... <laughs> It's not saying that anger in itself is a sin, for we know from other scriptures that Jesus was angry. And Jesus and Paul teaches us about ways to deal with anger, not to let the sun go down on our anger. It's, it's not the type of anger, the word that Jesus is using here that says, oh, you took my parking spot. The kind of anger he's talking about is an anger that is settled inwardly. In other words, a nursed malice. It's not the anger you feel, it's the anger you fuel. So yeah, probably sometime today at some stage, you're gonna feel angry. It's possible that I'm gonna go home and there's gonna be dirty dishes in the sink and my kids are gonna have been sitting on the couch, maybe watching church, hi guys if you are, and leave the, the dishes there and I'll get home and I'll think, oh, why couldn't they have done that? But that's not the anger that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about something that you hold on to, that you fuel, that you think about the next day and the next day, that you choose not to let go. And it turns into a grudge, turns into something that you nurse. You know what I'm talking about? If you've nursed malice, Jesus says, you've missed the point of my alternate kingdom because God's kingdom isn't about minimum harm. It's about maximum good. It's not just about not death. It's about advancing the good things of life. So if you want to be right with me, Jesus says, in your relationships with your family, your colleagues, your fellow churchgoers, let go of anger. That's how you get the love you long for. That's how you get the peace you long for, the hope, the joy, the justice. Let go. And yeah, we're going to need God's help with this. But we need an alternative, and God offers it to us. Because that anger, that bitterness, that hatred just doesn't fit in his kingdom, in the kingdom that we're designed for. And so Jesus takes it further, verse 22. He says, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, rakah, is answerable to the court. And you know that Don read the translation from the message that said idiot. And that's exactly what it is. It literally means empty-headed. 
That's what rakah means, empty-headed. Sorry. So if you call someone stupid or an idiot, you're saying rakah, basically, the Bible says. And further on, anyone who says you fool will be in the danger of the fire of hell, which is another way, a similar sort of word. Actually, the word is moron. You would, you would have heard that phrase before, moron, idiot. Ever said that? Maybe in the car? I mean, really, is there any of us who aren't guilty in some stage of saying something like that? And Jesus is saying, well, in your kingdom, the absence of death is enough, but I want so much more for you. I want so much more. I want you, I want your church, at my church, this church, to reflect the kingdom of God where our families reflect the kingdom of God, where our friendships reflect the kingdom of God. And where this happens, we have to advance forgiveness and love and hope and decre- no, rather than just decrease death. So this morning, are there people with whom you are angry? Are there people against whom you are bitter? Are there people you hate? Because Jesus goes on to say that impacts our worship. It impacts our relationship with him. Verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your gift. It's just so different to the way we think about it. You know, I was brought up, you'd never leave church. If you were busting to go to the bathroom, you'd just hold. You wouldn't walk out. It was so disrespectful to God. But Jesus is saying here, if we have no business or we do not have any business pretending to please God by our worship, if we're angry with someone, it's as simple as that. Every Jew was familiar with the, the ritual of offering sacrifices. It was about atoning for sin. It was about making your relationship with God right. That was so important. But what Jesus is pointing out is that a right relationship with God depends on a right relationship with one another. This is radical teaching about community. You can't be right with God unless you're right with other people. So if you're nursing a grudge, if you won't forgive someone, you're not right with God. This is tough teaching. I've been asking myself during the week, and perhaps you can ask yourself today, who are you not at peace with? Jesus was basically saying, some of you people are so religious, you break your arm patting yourself on the back because you've not murdered anyone. You think that because you have no bloodstains on your hands that your life is pure. You think you meet kingdom standards for for relationships, but you can have clean hands where there's blood splattered all over the insides of your life. You know, I think part of the reason why Jesus advocates extreme and immediate action is that he knows that a broken relationship is an urgent care situation. You know, if you've got a ruptured appendix, you're not going through your to-do list and thinking about when you might go and get it seen to. Everything else is being dropped. You're leaving a gift at the altar and you're going to the hospital to get it dealt with. You know it's a life and death situation. You could die. You know, toxins will go through your body, spread. But Jesus knew that a ruptured relationship was just as dangerous And that's why he calls to immediate action, immediate healing. Now, sometimes this immediate action 
leads to long-term healing. Anger is something that normally involves a process to deal with. Forgiveness is something that takes time. But Jesus says, go to it. Go fix it. It's a priority. You may say, I can't. Or maybe more, I won't. And Jesus says to you this morning, I can do it in you. You may not be able to do this, but I can do this in you. Romans 12 Two, as we finish up this morning, says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't just assume that you should be part of the kingdom and do what everyone else is doing. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. God needs new people for this new alternate kingdom that we actually long to be a part of. And he invites us to be a part of it today. Our world may say, it's okay to hate someone, just don't murder them. But God says, don't let that be your standard. Let God transform you. Let him change your thinking. And that will change your behavior. So this morning, we're going to spend some moment thinking, allowing God to change our thinking. And Anne's going to play a beautiful song to us, and we're going to have the opportunity to reflect. And the words of this song are a really hard prayer to pray. And we're not actually even allowed to sing the prayer this morning. But actually what comes out isn't what matters most. That's what this scripture is about. It's what God is saying and doing in our hearts. And I invite you in your hearts to pray this prayer. It's a prayer asking God to do in us what we can't do in ourselves. It's a prayer of submission to the king of this alternate kingdom. The last verse says, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold over my being absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all can see. Christ only, always living in me. That's how God sees us. Till all can see the light of Jesus and only the light of Jesus living in us. Pray these words as, as Anne sings them this morning.